You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FNB Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. And Wayne has come back from a couple of trips, from what I understand. One was to the Indian Ocean Islands, specifically Mauritius. And then he came back to South Africa and then he went off to the country of my birth, i.e. Britain. Yeah. And Wayne, welcome back. He must be exhausted. and But on the other hand... You must be very, very happy sitting at your desk and seeing what's happened to the JSE Securities Exchange in the first few trading Correct. days of this year. Very, very good news. Well, well, it's been going up since October, seriously. I mean, it's just been one-way traffic. We're sitting at record highs, yes. which is fantastic. Mining shares and mining shares process and NASPAFs have been doing all the running. So the, the banks and the retailers have been a little bit of a laggards. But I think actually now that's where a bit of opportunity actually sits in the banking shares and the retail shares. But yes, but it's all on the back of what we've discussed ad nauseum for such a sustained time period. Hmm. This whole rally is on the back of anticipated interest rate cuts in the middle or the end of this year. In other words, inflation falling quite rapidly down to acceptable levels. So that this, this rally is all about that. You're not a vainglorious person. You don't uh, shout from the rooftops that I've done this and I've done that and you're not on Twitter all the time saying, well, I bought this in uh, September, October, nah. or whatever. You don't do that. But I know that you've, uh, and, and we, we speak, I mean, it's not privately, but we speak on this podcast on a weekly basis, yes. and I asked you, and you're very honest about it, and you say, yes, I am, I'm starting to buy now. And you were buying in the third quarter of 2022, yes. and you've done yeah. well, I would imagine. I mean, Lin Lindsay, Lindsay, just on that point, I've experienced enough in share markets to know mm. that you never brag about your successes. Quite right. Because you're in failure just around the corner waiting for <laughs> In investments, yeah. In investments, outperforming and being right is almost as dangerous as underperforming and being wrong. Because the problem with being right is that this isn't a science. And the problem with being right is you start to think you know this game. You start to think, oh, I've got it right for the last six months, one year, two years, however long. Then my next decision by definition is also going to be right. And there's a very good chance it won't be. So in this game, there's two things you never do. You never brag whether you're right, and you never say to a person who's wrong, I told you so, because mm. the shoe can change very quickly. I mean, by definition, the market forces you to be a humble person, by definition, because if you're an arrogant person in investments, you will see your bum very quickly, because no one, nobody knows this game. No one's an expert. Do you find yourself, as you get older, I mean, we're more or less the same age, I think. Do you find yourself becoming humbler and wiser as the years go by, Wayne? Yes and no. You do get wiser in that you learn to essentially understand yourself better and understand people interactions better. Well, that's interesting in you say that. You, so learn, you, you don't yeah. understand markets. You understand the psychology of the markets, i.e. Yeah. other human beings. And markets, you learn every day, every day school day in markets. Every single day is school day in markets. Mm. And there's three things you can hang your hat on in markets. The most important thing by far is diversify your investments. Right. Because no one knows the future. 
The second thing you can hang your hat on is when you get these outlandish outlier events that either push the market up like crazy or most of the time down like crazy, but they're such outliers, you can act on it. So like COVID was a good example. A good example. The global financial crisis was a good example. And maybe tech shares and Bitcoin was a good example on the up. Yes. And right now, the 40-year high inflation numbers is also a good example. That is such an outlandish, abnormal, freakish event that you know there's going to be a very, very sharp reversal. You can hang your hat on that. And then the third thing you can hang your hat on is good, solid companies where there's never been a scandal that are not involved in heavily cyclical businesses where there's never been cowboy management in charge that have just sat back and produced good dividends over the years. I mean, they get their ups and downs, make no mistake, they're part of the economy. When a company like that goes cheap, buy it. So there, the classic example is Bidvest. Yes. That is probably the best example I can think of. When that price gets cheap, let's say when the price earnings ratio normally averages, I can't remember now, but let's say it normally averages 16, and that goes to 8 or 10, you just close your eyes and you buy it. And I think those are the only three things you can truly hang your hat on in investments. The rest is cyclical events, it's emotions, it's, it's the unknown, essentially. You've said hang your hat four times now, and I understand what you're saying. But if you look at Bidvest, this is a classic example. For example, a school said to you, come and give my you know, 16-year-old as, as students, I don't know what grade that is in South Africa, but come and tell us yeah. about investments and how you should approach your early investment career. What company would you choose? So you say Bidvest. So you look at Brian Joffe. That's the first thing, management. Very good management. Then you say defensive (laughs) industries. In other words, defensive products, rather. You say this company sells things that people need every single day of their lives. And then you say balance sheets and dividends. I mean, it's not difficult, is it? No, it's not. But, you know, people get greedy. They get ambitious. And, yeah, they sometimes... Look, let's go back to Bidvest because I think it's a good lesson for everyone to learn. Thank you. Lots of South African companies, many South African companies go overseas and they buy companies that have got a problem that they've got to fix up. David Jones, Gourmet Kitchen Burger, name it. There are many, many examples. Sappy 20 years ago. Old Mutual also 15, 20 years ago, whenever it was. Yeah. They go there. They're quite successful in South Africa in their game. They're quite successful, yeah? They go over there and say, oh, we can fix this. You know, it's no problem. And you come second very quickly, as we all know. Then you take Brian Joffe. Brian Joffe never bought a company he had to fix. He never bought a company where he had to kick out management and put new management in. He paid up for it sometimes, but he always bought successful management that had a good, successful companies and successful management that had a good track record. And he just helped them. He didn't try and interfere. He didn't try and run the business. He helped them to do it better. He also brought a lot of value and a lot of you know positive attributes to the market. But he never came in saying, I know everything and I'm going to tell you how to run this business because he didn't buy that kind of business. He only bought successful businesses. And I think that is such an important lesson to learn. And secondly, he never bet the farm. 
You know, it was always built on acquisitions. You never bet the farm on massive things and then that, that just flopped yeah. when it went wrong. Yeah, a superb businessman. And I'll tell you something, mm. when I'm in Rotterdam or Amsterdam, I'll be uh, on the tram or something like that, and I see a truck going along and it says bid food or, or something like that. And I think yeah. to myself, that's a South African company. That's Brian Joffe. Yeah. That's a success no, it's been story. Very successful. Very successful. Truly successful. Yeah. Look, the mining companies have also been very successful over time, but mining companies are hugely cyclical. You know, that's inherent in, in their nature. They're hugely cyclical. So, Mining companies, I mean, you can do so well out of them, but you can also do so poorly. I mean, Anglo-American in the space of 10 years can go from 800 rand to 50 rand to 800 rand. Eh? Mm. I mean, that is truly cyclical. And almost on the point of bankruptcy and zero dividends and cut the dividend to zero. And, you know, so our mining companies over the years have been as successful as Bidvest, but in a hugely cyclical industry. I mean, truly, we, we sometimes don't give our mining companies enough credit. I mean, the mining companies that were born in South Africa, you know, these are true big global giants. I mean, they, you know, Anglo-American and BHP Billiton, you know, they top five mining companies in the world. And then we've got Amplats and we've got all of our big platinum producers here. I mean, our mining companies have been enormously successful in very adverse circumstances, and they are truly competitive global players. But mining companies you don't hold forever because they are so heavily cyclical. That's if, why the difference between Bidvest and that. If Australia or some other company had had the resources that are beneath the ground in the Republic of South Africa, would they have done better than the Republic of South Africa has done? In other words, would they have exploited these resources? Probably Better. Probably the answer is probably yes, hmm. but not at their, not because of their fault. Let's forget about the apartheid years because I wasn't really in investments in apartheid. I started in investments. Yeah, let's in start in 1994. Let's start in 1994 if we can. Yeah. Off, off we, we had a wonderful time. We had a wonderful time until two things happened. In other words, Australia wouldn't have done any better than our mining companies did until the Eskom crisis. Which was self-inflicted. Excuse me. It was yes. self-inflicted. So in other words, things were great in the first, what can you call it, 14 years of the new South Africa. Okay. But until the problems that have been, that have become present with our government in charge, because there's no one else in charge. So, you know, people always ask me, who's to blame? You know, it's... Uh, if there's something wrong in the country, it's a government to blame because they're the government. You know, there's no one else to blame. But putting that aside, yes, but certainly since Eskom stroke Zuma, uh, an Australian company in Australia with the same resources could have done better. Much now, better. classic example, two, two, two examples. Classic example: when the coal price hit record highs last year, or whenever. If we could have exported another 60 million tons of coal, we would have made an absolute fortune. But we couldn't because the railways and the harbors couldn't do it. And exactly the same with iron ore. You know, when the iron ore price was $140, $200, wherever it was, you know, Kumba could have exported another 10 million tons, another 20 million tons. But Transnet is, we've spoken about Transnet. I mean, Transnet 
is a dysfunctional or non-functioning organization. You know, you can't even go and catch a passenger train from here to Durban or here to Cape Town. It doesn't exist anymore. That's why, I mean, I, as you all know, I I work on cars. It's a a terrible thing because I love trains. I've always loved trains. Since I was a toddler, I've loved trains. The fact that you can't catch the blue train. Catch, yeah, yeah, there's, or what's the other one? Rovos Rail. You can't take a train anywhere. I went on Rovos. I went on Rovos December two years ago. No, December a year ago. Sorry, I'm getting mixed up between the years. I've been on it many times and I really like it, I must say. Yeah, it's a great And I came back from Durban Mm. and first of all, the locos that came to pick us up in Durban Station, which was decrepit and run down and dirty and filthy, and the lights didn't work because the platforms aren't used. Mm. So there's no need to clean them and make sure the escalators work when there's no trains. Okay. The two locos that Rovos Rail, that Transnet sent to Rovos Rail, both of them broke down trying to get there. So they found another two, mm-hmm. but we left four hours late. Then we stopped. I think 36 or 38 times between Durban and Cato Ridge because the train driver had to phone on his cell phone a central control room to go over uh, intersection, uh, a rail intersection because the signaling system didn't work. So there's still the process still runs many trains, but that's not, you know, city to city. That's all within the city. And, you know, the, so imagine your, your signaling system doesn't work. So the train driver on the cell phone has got to phone a control room and say, can I go through intersection 3B62? You know, is there another train coming, another cross a train coming? And then we get to Heidelberg, get to Heidelberg at 4 o'clock in the morning, and we're supposed to be in Pretoria. The complete electric system goes down because of cable theft. If we were stranded in, in Heidelberg, and Rovos Rail had to send their diesel locomotive down from Pretoria to come and fetch us because the electrical motors, there was no electricity. So to get the old-fashioned diesel to come thumping all the way from Pretoria. But maybe the worst thing of all is I was on Rovos Rail for two nights and three days, so it was a bit of a sightseeing thing. So we weren't on the train all the time. We went on various excursions. Very nice. Mm-hmm. And we obviously slept some of the time. Of course. But when I was awake on the train, this is on the main Durban to Johannesburg line, two trains passed us going down to Durban. Two in three days. Two. And in a normal country, it would be you know, 20. One train after another. Mm. And as I was saying, you know I restore cars. So I went down to Durban to go and pick up, buy a car last year sometime. You go fetch a car. Right. And it's called Town Hill, the road going down into Maritzburg coming from Joburg. It's a very steep road, and there's been many, many accidents there over the decades. So they're doing road repairs on Town Hill when I went there, and it's two lanes. That's it. And they've got these huge concrete barriers on either side of the lane, so there's no place to pull off. There's nothing. So they let the cars go in the fast lane, and they let the trucks down in the slow lane one by one. And there was a 14-kilometer-long queue of trucks parking, standing still with the engines turned off next to the highway, mm. waiting to go down Town Hill because everything's going by road. Well, that's, no not, that's not unique. I mean, look at the UK. I mean, it's a G7 country, and, and you've got these trucks 
20 mile queues of trucks waiting to get out of the Dover port to go to the to yeah, the, to the continent because of Brexit, the, yeah, which was the most yeah. ridiculous thing that's ever look, happened in, I mean, in I the think, history I think of the people UK. People are looking back and saying, yeah. I think people are looking back and saying this Brexit story was a one of those momentary laps of reason, there, boy. It was complete and utter momentary disaster. lapse of reason. Exactly. It now, on, on that note, I mean, I'll do this later, but let's have a look at the South African market, which has had a, it's had a, a fantastic start to 2023. Do you believe it, or are you slightly circumspect about and and cautious about no, the, the, the? I think it's run up too quick. I yeah. think it's run up too quickly. That's what I was asking. But yeah. tomorrow's inflation number will be the key in the US. Yeah, it's going to come down, of course, by you know point seven percent or something. Yeah, but by how much? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it'll be a point seven percent fall. But I agree with you. I don't think it'll be as precipitous a fall as you predicted last year. But you did predict it again. You started buying, and hats off to you. Yeah, and but, but uh, to you me, also the predicted falls only after April. Eh? Well, I think as you get yeah. older, I think you're getting more. You're getting um, wiser. But what are you going to do with the South African market this year before we get to more interesting matters? Unfortunately, Lindsay, I've got a little bit of a time constraint here. Okay, we are still sitting with our equity. We're sitting with our equity. Yeah. We're not going to buy any more at this level, but the one thing we've really got to seriously consider is bringing money back to South Africa at 17 against the dollar. I think it's going I to go think to 14. This, dollar, this 12 years, this 12-year dollar rally is over, okay. and I also think the next 10 years is going to be commodity-producing countries. Okay. So I think this rand could strengthen quite sharply over the next couple of years. Okay. In that case, thank you very much for your time this evening, Wayne. We'll speak again next Wednesday. That's Wayne McCurry from FMB Wealth and Investment. And that was Wayne on Wednesday. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.